Welcome. How are you guys doing? Uh, my name is Jared Corzine. I'm, uh, I'm on staff here at Matthias. Uh, I'm the discipleship director. It, it might be obvious um, that I'm not Mark Sigma. Usually that's not the voice that comes through the microphone uh, at the end of the meet and greet. Uh, Mark is with a team of 25 people in Ecuador right now uh, from our church. Yeah, yeah, hands up for Ecuador. Um, and, and they're down there uh, just serving a, a team of missionaries and, um, and church leaders who, who plant churches and they're resourcing, um, just uh, do, doing some amazing work and, and some amazing service down there uh, this week. I did get a text from Mark last night, and he said something to the effect of we're, uh, we're all still alive and well. Um, but then he also said that uh, they're plunging into the depths of just missions and what it means to to do missions work, uh, to be uh, missionaries. And um, I count it just a success that, that they still have 25 with them because I'm a little worried even to, to, to go to, to lunch with Mark sometimes, let alone Ecuador. So, um, But he's, uh, they're all doing really well. And so uh, just a really neat thing to note is that um, they're actually doing uh, a worship service right now, uh, this exact same time, whatever time it is in their time zone, they're, they're uh, down there right now doing the same thing. They're having a worship service prayer and, uh, and, and sharing a fellowship with us in that. Um, but I grew up in St. Charles. Uh, I was born and raised here, um, ate endless amounts of funnel cakes at St. Charles Bar Mayo Church Picnic. Has anybody else ever been to that picnic? I probably wasn't supposed to be there then because I wasn't part of the church. But the funnel cakes are great. But I, I grew up here, and, and I love this city, and I love um, the people of this city. I love the heart of this city and the history of this city. Um, the just what it means to be somebody who lives in St. Charles. I really love that. Um, and I came on staff here at Matthias back in January as the discipleship director. I had done a, um, an internship before that um, as basically a, a means of implanting discipleship into our church body. And it's, there's a whole method and a, and, a, and a process that we do that by. Um, but it, what I was doing um, over and over again was learning that discipleship um, in, in the proper sense, is something that's become a, a buzzword in, in many sentences in the, uh, in the Christian community. And, and all of us say it, all of us know, you know how to say it or when to say it or when the right times are to, to use that word, but, um, but it can become cliche and it can become um, just, just a buzzword, like I said. And it's, um, the, the reason why is because we lack uh, mission most of the time. We lack a deep understanding of where it's coming from, what, what even we should be doing to do that. Um, but tonight we're going to get into uh, looking at mission and, and looking at specifically what the writer um, and, and Apostle Matthew says about the mission that we have. Um, and we're not going to go into do's and don'ts a whole lot in this. We're not going to go into XYZ procedures. Uh, we have trainings for that. But we're just going to look at the mission that Jesus handed over uh, to his disciples uh, before he ascended to heaven. So um, we're going to be looking in uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, it, I love movies. Anybody else really a big just movie buff? Anybody not? A, anybody hate movies? They're a book fan. They're, you know, I don't know. I'm, I love both, but in movies, what you see is is um, a director, a cameraman. Uh, they, they have a lens that, that can scope a panoramic wide angle to catch big things, major things happening, and big movements within a story. But when the story comes down to um, a specific conversation or a turning point. Um, uh, a scene of importance, um, a dialogue, 
what you see is, you see the, the, the lens go from like this wide down to about this. And, and it zooms in on the situation because um, you're not supposed to be focusing on anything else outside of that. You're supposed to only see right now in the story what these words are said. Uh, and, and what's happening right now in these seconds. And so that's what we get to do tonight. We get to step um, away from the, the, the broad story of Scripture and step right into the very narrow lens of uh, what Jesus is saying. So um, just a, a few points about Matthew. Um, Matthew was a Jew, uh, which is not a surprise because all the disciples were Jews. That may be a surprise, I don't know. But he was a Jew. He, he was writing to a Jewish audience about kingdom fulfillment. And, and his bottom line is this. The kingdom of God has come because... God has fulfilled uh, all promises he's ever made in Christ. And, and so Christ has come to fulfill what God has promised. He's the answer. Um, and in our spot in the story, we've just seen uh, before this, Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been um, tried and falsely accused of blasphemy against himself. He's, he's, he's God, but he was accused of, being, of blaspheming uh, God and taking, um, taking his name. But so he was crucified from that. He was crucified on the cross, um, and he was dead. And even, even thinking about that in the past couple of days, it, it, it just hit me over, over and over again how much he really was uh, dead. He, he, he wasn't alive. He was completely dead. And, but then, so, okay, so he's buried in the tomb. The tomb is sealed. But uh, three days later, he walks uh, out of the tomb. And... All of a sudden, you know, truth claims became good news. And so we have Jesus who, who walks out of the tomb, appears to um, some of the, the women who were his followers, and he said, go tell my brothers where to meet me. Um, go tell them where to meet me so I um, can see them. And so that's where we find ourselves today. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28, and we're going to start in verse 16. We can have the whole race when you're there. Say I'm there. You guys sound like you're lying. You're there too quickly. I don't know. It's, we won't make the last person say I'm there because that would be that would be mean. But so Matthew 28, 16, and 17. We're going to start off in those two verses first. It says this: Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, so there's 11 disciples left. They started with 12. Uh, Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus, um, offered back the money after the fact, but still felt so guilty about what he did that he hung himself. Very gory uh, story. Um, but so, so they're, already, they're already cut off a little bit from their original number. Um, I don't know if you know what it's like to be on some team that only has you know, 12 players on it, and then you lose one, and you feel the big weight of, of, of the load that everybody's got to carry. But... So they find themselves um, at, at, at an 11 number, okay? Um, they're, they're going to Galilee. Jesus says, go come to Galilee and meet me. They weren't all in Galilee. Um, and Galilee is significant because it's, it's the centerpiece, it's the heartbeat, it's the central location, the hotspot of Jesus' ministry. He did many signs and wonders and miracles and things that nobody had ever seen any man do before. Um, so so the, the, the terrain would have been familiar for the disciples um, to go back there. Um, and, and he said, come back to the mountain in Galilee, um, to where I've called you. And, and, and the mountain, I mean, there's, there's, you know, like some guys are about some stuff, whether it's trucks or a team or Cardinals opening day tomorrow for, you can cheer louder if you want, that's okay. There you go. Cubs fans in the house, I guess. I don't know. Um, 
but Matthew, I think there's some part of his character that's about mountains. Um, Matthew's gospel depicts amazing things happening on mountains in ways that none of the other gospel writers do. He talks about the temptation of Jesus happening on a mountaintop, um, being tempted by Satan. He, uh, he talks about the, he writes about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, starting in Matthew 5, the greatest sermon ever given, uh, Jesus preaching about the kingdom. Um, also has the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. Um, and, and then we come to our scene today, and this is taking place either on or, or around at the base of up a mountain there. And so um, if you're one of these disciples, if you're, um, if you're summoned or if you're called or contacted by one of these women, you're, um, you're probably asking yourself some crazy questions right now because they, they didn't have full assurance even by the time he, he left. Uh, then they, we, we still see that they're feeble in, in still in understanding and still doubting, still not quite there. Um, if, if I was one of the disciples, I would be thinking, I would actually be wondering if when he got arrested in the garden, um, if that was um, a mistake or if that, if that came before he could fulfill his mission. I would be wondering if all these things took place that, that he said would have to take place. Um, walking through Galilee and, and going up to a mountain, I may have been reminiscent a little bit about um, what I had seen in the past there. I, you know, walking a, along a certain pool you see uh, where you saw Jesus uh, heal a lame beggar or maybe walking down the same road where you see, um, where, where you remember Jesus healing a blind man named Bartimaeus. Um, you would start to have this, this recollection of things that came through that, um, that there would be memories that would be, you know, coming through and re- just starting to hit you like one by one, like, oh yeah, I remember that happened there, I remember that happened there. Um, and least of all, I would be um, really questioning if I was one of the disciples, what's he going to say? I mean, up to this point, Jesus has, has told them many things about the kingdom. He's taught them about himself. He's taught them who the Father is, what it would take to know him, to love him, and serve him. Um, he's done many things in their, in their presence also, but, um, but he hadn't really told them much to do. Like, he didn't write down an instruction sheet before he was arrested and said, oh, here, by the way, this is where you're going to have to do uh, peace. You know, it's like he, he didn't leave, like, detailed assuring instructions. Like, there's no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a notepad person, and I have to have a notepad on me. There's no notepad that's got their mission on it. So I would be wondering, what's he going to say? Um, and we have the luxury of reading ahead, but they didn't. So consider this. Consider um, places that you've gone in your life. Um, Think about significant events that have, that have happened, whether uh, the biggest one that sticks out to me in most people's lives is like a wedding engagement or, uh, or going back somewhere uh, to a significant place of your past to understand um, some perspective and clarity on things, to remember things that matter. Um, it, it, it's funny when you do that, how when you step back into a situation that you were in, um, things all of a sudden are more clear than they were at the time. Things that, that seem like chaos... Um, years ago, all of a sudden they, they make sense because you can kind of see how all this stuff has actually fit uh, into a plan somehow. Um, that we can suppose that this might be happening with these disciples. Um, and again, Jesus hadn't told them much of what to do, but we're going to read that next. So read verse 18 here with me. It says this, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He doesn't make small talk. Um, 
if it was if it was me, and it's not probably not even a good statement to say if I was Jesus, no, you know, people shouldn't go saying that. But if I was Jesus, I would probably walk up to him and you know give him the whole bro handshake or hug or whatever. I'd be like, the last couple days of my life have literally been the worst days of my life. It's, I mean, Jesus is like, Jesus doesn't waste time. You know, what I'm saying he he comes right up to them, and his first words say, "All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me." And so, what's that? You know, what's that like for a salutation? Um, and the question that we ask is, what, what authority is he talking about? Um, what he's talking about is he, he's, he's earned a status. He's earned a position in a place that no man in history has ever earned. Um, he's done something nobody ever did. Um, and, and the phrase has been given here is, in Greek, it's, it's edathe, and, it, and it, it implies a, a single one-time transaction. It's not a continual thing that was progressive. It, it, there, there was one thing that was offered in response to, or in receipt of something else. Um, and Jesus conquered sin and death by raising from the dead. Um, it's not the first time anybody had been raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, one of his miracles. But Jesus raised himself from the dead on his own authority and his own power. And he broke the curse of sin. And in, in, in Genesis 3, there's, um, we read there's repercussions on Adam and Eve, and not just Adam and Eve, but the whole race, um, because of their sin, because of their rebellion and eating the fruit. Um, God said that, that, that Eve would have pain in childbearing. Um, said that they both would have frustration in, in marital leadership, that, that, that how a marriage works wouldn't, wouldn't sit well with them and they would fight it. Um, there would be, um, you know, the, the work they would pour into the ground wouldn't yield the same amount of fruit that it yielded in the Garden of Eden. They were, they were used to doing work in this formula thing where Adam worked the garden and food would come out. And, and God says, that, that is not going to be like that anymore. You're going to work harder than, than what you're going to receive. Um, and so they would have sickness and, and decay, but ultimately death. And, you know, mankind, we've done a really good job at, at trying to combat um, the curse. We've done a really good job of trying to remedy um, what's, what, the curse that we're under. And, and we haven't remedied anything. We found a lot of really good Band-Aids for most of this, but we really haven't found a remedy. Um, the, I've never given um, birth to a child myself or carried one, uh, but, but I hear it's painful. Um, so there's, there's drugs that we've created for that. I still don't think, from what I understand, it, it doesn't take away all the pain, but makes it better. Um, you know, drugs for making sickness better. Um, workshops on marriage, which is a wonderful thing. Um, pesticides, not, not pesticides, chemicals, um, pesticide would be the opposite, uh, opposite of this, but you know, pesticide. I keep saying pesticide. Chemicals that we can spray on food and inject in food um, to, to make make our you know oranges grow bigger and more and, and as often as we want them to. Um, and it, again, this is it's, it's overcoming the curse. We take vitamins um, to to make our bones stronger because our bones weren't built to to last as long as they do. Sometimes we live a really long time, um, but death uh, we haven't overcome. And there's, you know, explorers and everybody searching for the fountain of youth, but nobody's found it, and nobody will, because there is no fountain of youth, because death is impassable in the power of humans. Um, so again, what, what, what Jesus is saying is that he's earned all authority by conquering the one thing that man has never been able to conquer, um, by doing the one thing man could never do, by, um, by beating the worst ramifications of the curse. Uh, he became the curse for us. Um, and th- there, there's a cause and effect relationship um, in Scripture uh, to um, 
situations that arise. There's imperatives, and then there's indicatives. Imperatives are things, um, truths about God. It's, it's a standalone truth. And then an indicative is a response uh, by man. And, and so you've got a cause and you have an effect. And, and it's magical in a way that, that the imperative, something about God elicits a response on, on behalf of God's people. Um, and it's amazing how the story does that to our own hearts. You read a story, we read here in Matthew, and all of a sudden we're changed by that somehow. We want to do something different. We want to be different because of that. And so the formula for this scene here goes is because of Jesus' work on the cross and all the authority over all things that he's earned, he sits at the right hand of God now. And because of that, we're called to do something. Well, that's what he goes into here in verse 19. Look at this. The first part of verse 19 says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so, um, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Um, classic verse that people take um, to proclaim mission work. Classic verse to proclaim going to do you know, some amazing uh, things somewhere far away from here. Um, and that's true. That, that, that is justified in that. But the go here, the word go, um, it's, it's, it's not used. Jesus didn't say it in the Greek. It's not used as a, like an imperative command saying go. Um, it, it's actually a participle, which means nothing to all but three of you probably. But it's, it's a, the participle literally is translating as you go. So there's an implied going. Um, Jesus is saying, yes, yeah, you're going to go. What that does, it doesn't say don't go. It's saying go, but the main verb is what's to come. And, and so the main clause here is uh, make disciples. And I have to look at this. The, the word here, it's five syllables. It's mathe tu sate. Say that with me. Mathe tu sate. Try it one more time and maybe rain will come down. Mathe tu sate. Okay. So make disciples, make learners. It's this idea that we're making, you know, we're progressively working in, in people's lives in such a way that... Um, that they're changing, and they're, they're, they're not just learning new information, but they're uh, being transformed. Um, any teacher out there knows that, that you know, when you teach a learner, you, can't, you, don't teach every, you don't teach everything to one person in one day. You can't do it. It's a progressive work that occurs over a long period of time. Can you imagine what the disciples would be thinking, actually, right now? When, when Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples, they're like, okay, okay. He's like, all nations, and they're like, what? I mean, seriously? All nations? You really mean all nations? I wonder if, I'm, I'm curious if anybody asked him, can you re-clarify that? Because I, I think you just said all nations. Um, so clearly in this, the call is to go. The call is to go and participate in all nations. But um, what would you be thinking if you're them right there? I mean, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't, have, they didn't even have snail mail. They didn't even have mail. They didn't have mail. All right? They, they, they had like ships and long periods of time to travel to get places, all right? Um, there's, there's a lot of things that that would mean. It would mean that um, my, my background where I'm at in you know, Jerusalem would have to change. It would mean that I would be going to places that maybe I would be really uncomfortable to go to, um, into cultures that didn't understand me and I didn't understand them. Um, they're, they're, the task would just be, grow really quickly to an impossible thing really, really fast. Um, go make disciples of all nations. Selfishly, I probably would have been saying... I wish you would have said, go make disciples of Jerusalem, because I got that. I can, we can stay here, we can build this community, but, um, but this is the definitive event where Jesus broadens the mission to the church to say, go, because this involves not just you. 
it involves, God's people involves all peoples, all nations of this earth. Um, so then we go on, and, and so he says, make disciples. So how does Jesus say, let's make disciples? The next phrase here in, in, uh, in verse 19 says this. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the sentence is set up in a funny way. And if you don't like grammar, I'm sorry, but if you really like grammar, like this is your, you know, if you like sentence structure, this is your sermon, let me tell you. Um, this, so you've got like, make disciples is right here. Um, that's the main clause. And then um, under that and, and alongside that, you've got baptizing. And then something else here in a second. But you've got baptizing as one of the supporting clauses to making disciples. Um, and baptism is, is signifying this, this, this passing from death to life, this Old man is gone, new man has come. Um, the, the, the life I once lived to myself and all, those, all other things on this earth, uh, I now live to Christ. Um, literally brought, brought under and, and, and baptized in the Holy Spirit as a new person, as a new uh, creation in Christ. And so um, it's maybe in a bigger sense the, the means by which the people of God grow. Um, the people of God don't grow unless more people are baptized because you can't get in unless you're baptized in the Spirit, all right? It doesn't always mean that we're going to be baptized the same way. It doesn't, you know, if you're sprinkled versus dunked, you're, I mean, I'm not going not to argue that point. Um, but every, ber- every person who has faith in Christ and is saved is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so by this, progressively, over and over and over, the people of God over time are grown. Um, and so Jesus is telling them, you know, bring people into the fold of God. And, and all that, that means is, is bring people into what you have, this fellowship, this love, this community, these believers. Um, bring them in so that they can grow and experience as you do among fellow believers. And so um, the, the, the next clause here, so, so we have make disciples, baptizing, and the second clause here is in uh, verse 20. Um, in, in the top part it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, Besides living, you know, the perfect sinless life, we, we we talk a lot about what Jesus came to to the earth for, um, and, and by this by this these verses we see two purposes. Um, he did come to live a perfect sinless life and die the sacrificial lamb, uh, sacrifice death, so that he could earn all authority in heaven and earth. But at the same time, um, he came for the sake of his disciples. Uh, if you ever read about a miracle of Jesus, if you ever read about a teaching. Um, if you ever read his words, if you ever read about an interaction or something amazing happening, you can read about it because at least one disciple was there watching. You ever think about that? If the disciples weren't there, how would it have, how would it have gotten into the gospel? Um, and, and, and I'll argue this, most of what Jesus did, not all, but most, um, raising people from the dead, healing sick, um, befriending the people who were uh, widows and orphans and sinners, the people we would stay away from most of the time today in our own broken selves. Um, he did this so that he could show the disciples what he's doing. He did that to be an example for them. He did that um, for their benefit, probably more even than the benefit of the people who were being blessed. You know what I'm saying? Because when he left, I mean, his ministry wasn't, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything in the 33 years that I live or the last three years of my ministry with these guys, and that's it. The ministry actually was supposed to go on for thousands of years after he was gone. And that depended on these disciples. That depended on these, um, these men getting it and understanding it. So Jesus' time on earth was 
extremely intentional. Um, and extremely, you just don't read about small talk. You don't read about accidental conversations. I kind of wish I could because I would be interested like, in what Jesus' jokes were like or his, I mean, his, his, his personality outside of that. But, but we don't read about that a whole lot because that's not what we're supposed to carry on. Um, Jesus' message was all about what we were supposed to know about him and how to follow him. Um, so we've got the major theme of making disciples. Got the minor theme of baptizing and teaching. Um, it's am- it's amazing though how much we, as a church, um, and not just Matthias, but as a global church, have done a poor job by majoring in the minors. Um, think about it this way: if you've ever gotten a uh, report card in the mail, anybody ever get a report card you didn't want to show to your parents? My mom's here, so I can't I can't say, but. So you get a report card and you open it up. And this isn't indicative of myself. I, I, I probably got this at one point. But say, say you get three A's and two C's. And you look at it and you're like, all right, sweet, that's awesome. And you give it to you know, your mom or your dad. And they look at it and they look at your GPA and they're like, son, this isn't, um, this isn't, this isn't up to par. Uh, and it doesn't make sense. But all of a sudden you look and realize that, well, those three A's were in one-hour classes. And, and your two C's were in four-hour classes. That doesn't add up very well. Um, and so... It's, you know, by even majoring in the minors, it's, I'm not calling baptism and teaching a subordinate thing. It's, it's an equally important thing, but that's not the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here. Um, we, we, we've just done a really bad job in the sense that, that we've, we've held on to things that we um, should hold on to only in certain times, and we've let go maybe, maybe the broad picture that he's trying to, trying to tell us. Um, and and, and there's, there's things that happen when we do this. There's results of this. Um, when we baptize people alone, think about this. Somebody walks in our doors, and we befriend them, and they hear this message about Christ, and, and they have a need. They know their stuff's not working, and they, they're it. That's, they're saved. I mean, they, they, they accept Jesus. They, there's no other life outside of that. That's great. You know, we're all cheering in heaven. We're all excited. Um, but the problem is, is that most of the time, we've left that person out to dry. We've left them hanging on the on the line, and, you know, we're like cheery, throw them a birthday party kind of thing, and then we just let go of them, and, and shame on us for that, because how many people have we hurt uh, by, by not sticking close to them, by not taking them under our wing, by not um, bringing them close to us and saying, like Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, and how, how often have we not been a resource and an outlet and a comfort to people who need it? Um, it was never designed that we just give, even, it was never designed that we just give somebody this book and then walk away. They were, you know, the, the instruction manual isn't enough by itself. It's, it, it's people investing into other people. Uh, the second thing, if we teach alone, I mean, I'm, anybody a big podcast person? Anybody not know what a podcast is? It's okay. I, I just learned a couple years ago. But um, one thing I found about um, iTunes is that it, it's, it's free to download sermons. It's free to download. Actually, it's not free to download a lot of stuff. You find that out pretty quickly. But, um, but it is free to download sermons. I don't know what that means about the value of stuff. But, it's, um, but you, have, you have, like, sermons galore. You can download, like, literally an entire audio library of stuff. Like, I used to drive, I still drive a lot, but I used to drive in my car all day for work. And, and I literally would listen to, like, four or five sermons a day from different people just, like, getting fed with stuff. And that's great. But the problem is, is that if, 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 if that was the main thing, then, then why don't we just do that? I mean, why, don't, why do we all not just download stuff into our iPods and drive around and listen to our stuff and, and go? Um, 
because it doesn't fulfill the needs that we have for community. It doesn't fulfill, you know, knowledge is what we need, but, it, but it's not the only thing we need. We need community as much as that. We need each other. We need trust. Uh, we need understanding. And, and I don't get that. It's just me ingesting knowledge for my own sake and involving nobody else into that. Um, and so what we see is this. Jesus initially sends for the disciples. So they're, they're, they're walking along. Um, they're, they're nervous, excited. They're, they're anxious. And then they, they get to the mountain. They see him. Um, some worship, some doubt. Um, and, and then Jesus drops this bomb of saying, um, all authority on heaven and earth has, has been given to me, so go everywhere and do an impossible task. So he drops a bomb on him. Um, but uh, he doesn't leave him without comfort. He doesn't leave him without, you know, anything you see in Scripture, anything that's demanded of God's people, you always see this backside um, comforting of, you know, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'll be there with you. I'm, I'm there. Uh, and, and so let, let's read here in verse 20. And this is what he provides. He provides a comfort here. And he says this, um, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, it's, it, it blows me away that I can read those words from the Savior of the universe, writing to them but speaking to me, um, and not be dumbfounded, and not just be astonished every time I read them. Um, what the disciples learn right after that is, is they're, they're told that, that they're not building the church on their own power. They're not building the church on their own, um, on their own abilities. Um, this, this whole idea that, that Jesus is with us, it's not the first time it's brought up, especially in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew does a great job of, um, of taking um, this God with us idea. Of, and there's, Jesus has a title in Matthew 1 saying, God is with us, God with us, Emmanuel. Um, so he's got God with us in chapter 1. He's got God with us in chapter 28. You have this whole scheme of, of what Jesus did on this earth, his teaching, his, um, his, his life that he was sharing with his disciples, and you end on the same thought. And, and, and so you, it's like Matthew starting off saying, we have hope um, because he's come to us. And then he ends off the, this gospel by saying, we have hope because he's still with us. Um, th- there was a couple days in between um, arrest and resurrection that I'm sure they were doubting, is he still with us? I mean, they, they probably could have thought that he was a lunatic. I mean, I just followed this guy for three years, and maybe he just got arrested, and maybe he's really just dead. Um, but Jesus is reminding them here in the end of verse 20 that they have this hope because he's still um, with them. Uh, why did Jesus take this last opportunity? The very last words he, that, that he says in Matthew's recorded gospel, these are the words that he says. Um, he says he'll be with them. It's when do you need God the most? When do you know you need God the most? Um, and I need God all the time, but I recognize it more when it's hard, when it's tough, um, when my when my life's not working out, when my stuff's not working out, when I have doubts, when I have um, when I have fears, when it gets really tough. Uh, when it's going great, I'll, I'll remember God, you know, along the way. I'll stop and give him a passing wave as I'm going through my own life. But, but I really, really know I need God when I'm on my knees crying in prayer and saying, uh, God, I need you because if you don't do something, nothing's going to happen here. Um, or if you don't save me, nothing will. I mean, you're my last resort. You're my only resort. We only know that when we, when we know that we need him. Um, and, and the disciples right now were probably thinking, you know, again, this is an impossible task. Um, 
this isn't going to work out. He's calling us to do something that will fail. Um, they're probably worrying about their lives. I mean, they're going to some places where, where they're not going to be received well. They're not going to be brought in well. Um, and, and Jesus knew that they were going to need him because he knew that this would lose, lose its flavor at times. He knew that, um, you know, discipleship, making disciples would, would not be fun at times. It wouldn't be appealing um, that they wouldn't always wake up every morning and be like, hey, I get to get, go make you know, more disciples today. That's awesome. Um, he knew that those days would come. And in, in perspective, um, in this whole needing idea, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, um, the one after Matthew, uh, in Mark's gospel chapters 4 through 8, what you see is, is really the core of, of, of Jesus' ministry um, is, as it's depicted by Mark. And, and it's there's, while there's the backdrop of all this amazing stuff happening outside of this, um, you see an amazing dialogue back and forth between Jesus and his disciples. And he's challenging them um, in, in two major ways. He's challenging them um, with two ideas, two thoughts that they have to line up. They have to see how these things work out together. Um, and the first thing is this, who is God? And the second thing is this, who am I? And so... Um, in the midst of all these things that they're talking about, about the kingdom about, and about work and what would be to come and about what would happen, um, they're, they're, they're continuously having to wrestle with this conflict between, well, if God is this, then what am I? Or, or what am I offering? Or, or maybe what I thought I had to offer maybe isn't so great anymore. Um, because the reality was that, that all the disciples, um, like me, like us, um, didn't want to reconcile that a whole lot. I mean, Peter, Peter probably, I mean, it's shown, he, he just wants the instructions, and he just wants to go. It's like, um, tell me what to do, and I'll go do it. Um, but with Peter specifically, he had a, a deep underlying um, denial that the, resu- that the crucifixion and resurrection was a necessary step. He didn't want to have it happen. Um, all of the disciples, we see this, they, 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 want, um, they, they want to do what Jesus wants them to do, but they don't want to change themselves before doing it. They don't understand that, that everything has to be different. Um, they had to know that they couldn't do it unless they needed Jesus, unless they confessed the need for Jesus. They had to know that their, anything they would do, any, any work they would do, would be based upon him providing and them needing. Um, so, so after Jesus goes through in Mark 4 and breaks down all these things, um, he's, he's showing um, all this amazing stuff and, and this amazing dialogue. The, the disciples are, are broken down. This, I mean, they're really... Um, dissected. Um, they're kind of laid bare. Uh, Jesus is, is on this like traject- this uh, collision course every day of trying to you know unwind them again, remind them that they uh, would have to be brought to nothing in order to serve him, in order to follow him. Um, and then he gives them these words in Mark 8. Andrew, you got that slide? Hey, nice. Says this. He says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, sake, uh, would save his life uh, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Um, Jesus waits to the point where, the, where there's no other explanation. I mean, when, when they know finally that I have nothing within myself to, to, to add to this apart from Christ, then Jesus lays it out there and says, if you'll follow me, it's, it's going to cost you everything. Um, if you do my work, if you, if, you, if you participate in my mission, this mission of discipleship, 
um, this mission of building my church is going to take everything from you, at least the life that you know right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, I don't know. It seems to me that unless it costs you almost everything, Jesus doesn't want it. There's so many things that we try to offer up that, that, are, um, that maybe cost me half or cost me um, some effort here and there, some discomfort maybe. Um, but, but Jesus is really interested in the sacrifices and in the offerings that, um, that cause you to recognize that he is everything. And now, in, in our own context, it's hard to, to swallow that. We say that, we can even sing that, and it's, it's really hard to swallow that because I get the situations every day where um, I'm in prayer and, and, and I'm saying, Lord, this is hard. Um, Lord, this is difficult. Um, even discipleship specifically, this is, this is difficult. What is my own life worth that I can go lead somebody else? What, is, um, what are you doing in me that, that anything can even be done through me? Um, situations come up that are difficult to swallow or, or directions of my own peace within this whole mission are, are vague at times. Um, and so I'm just crying out, Lord, it's difficult. This doesn't seem right. Um, this, this seemed like it all fit like years ago, but now all of a sudden something doesn't seem right. I, I don't know if I should be doing this or this specific thing. Um, can you give me another option? Um, can I say it again? This is difficult. And he's answering back continually through his word and to his disciples saying, I know it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. None of this is ever supposed to be easy because if it was easy, you wouldn't need me, right? And the, whole, and the whole point to all this is that we're reconciled with Christ more and more. We're brought to him closely. So at the end of, of verse 20 here, at the end of this, um, this little scene, this small, tiny scene in the, in the grand story, um, we're given comfort. And Jesus says, I'll be with you always, um, for all time. Um, it translates, you know, t- till the end of time, um, till time is finished. And that translates into forever. I'll be with you much longer than, than you'll know, um, than you'll need me. And, it, and it's also saying that this work that's being done is continual. It won't stop. Um, there's a large um, group of our friends uh, in Ecuador right now, and they're on a mission trip. And it's kind of the, the, the cool thing. Within the Christian world, you go on mission trips. You get experience. They're a good thing. Um, but mission or a mission trip uh, without mission, without intentionality, is a vacation. That's all it is. I mean, if, if you go to participate in something like that and you're going down just to, um, just to receive, just to get, um, you're just, you might as well be on a vacation. You might as well have gone somewhere nicer. I don't know. And so we're not in Ecuador to kick back and relax and, and just wait for people to come tell us we're great. And we're, we're not in St. Charles for the same reason. Um, and, and we're getting to know that through, through we love St. Charles, and through more interactions that we're having with the city. Um, the, the city is not um, too interested in coming to us uh, by itself. We, we really need to be on mission within the city. And so we go back to this mission of uh, that Jesus says. He, he says two things about discipleship. He says, teach people about me and teach people how to follow me. And, and if that's the mission of the church, it is to know Christ, is to, to teach people about Jesus and then show people and teach people how to follow Jesus, then why do we do half the stuff that we do sometimes? 
I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about specifically in a Matthias context, but where have we gone sometimes with this, with this mission? Um, and I beg to differ the, to, to say that maybe if we consider the mission that we're supposed to be on more, um, we would change our course and get back to this. And so the question is, um, you know, to, to commit to making disciples, to, to bringing them into God's, God's house. Um, to teaching them all that Jesus had taught um, through Scripture to his disciples. Um, is that your mission? It's very easy to come into a group, into a large body, and, and, and blend in and say, this is our mission. And, and I'll say this, that is our mission as a church, but is that your mission? Because you have a piece in this. And you have, you have a significant piece in all of this. There are people, individuals in this room, um, that, that, that can reach and build into other Christ followers in ways that nobody else can. If you think you're the least significant person in this room, I guarantee you you're wrong, because there's somebody out there who needs you uh, in ways that myself or nobody else on staff can even touch. And so is this your mission? And why does this matter? It, it, it matters because Jesus is coming back. It matters because he's coming back um, after all this discipleship, after all this church building, um, after all these making Christ followers and, and blossoming Christ followers and, and showing them for who they are, teaching people about Jesus and their lives are looking like him more and more, after all this, he's coming back for his church. And he says in his word that his church will be visible. And so may we, um, in, in this call of discipleship, may we heed this in such a way and pour into individuals um, in such a way that, that when he comes back, who he's coming back for is unmistakable. It's clear. And they're ready um, and they're waiting. So let's pray. Father, um, thank you, Father, for mission. Um, we thank you for your mission. Um, thank you that we're not just left to uh, grasp at straws and go uh, do what we think is best or or. or or just do trial and error to, to figure out where we're going. I pray that, uh, that you would reunite um, this body um, as we uh, are here tonight, Father, and in weeks to come, Father, as we're um, moving to Main Street. Just uh, bring us back to mission. Bring us back to your mission. Um, I pray that more who would enter in these doors um, wouldn't enter through in a short term, um, that they would be invited, Father, to, uh, to grow long term with us, um, to be changed from the inside out. Father, we love you and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Uh, bless us.